Philippians chapter 2, and this morning we're looking at verses 12 through verse 18. Philippians 2, beginning at verse 12, listen now to the reading of God's holy word. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may be that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain yes and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith I am glad and rejoice with you all For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Seek the Lord's blessing on this His holy word. O gracious God in heaven, we do praise you and thank you for your word. We thank you that it is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And as we come to this particular passage, we ask that your spirit would be with us, leading us and guiding us according to your truth. And that your word truly would go forth in the power of the Spirit, finding within each of our hearts that rich, fertile soil that brings about great and abundant fruit for your glory. We pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There's nothing like the sense of joy, joy and satisfaction that comes from completing a a project. Especially if it's a project that has taken much time and effort to finish. Maybe it's, a, it's finishing up a, a big job for work or completing a paper or a proposal for school or putting the finishing touches on a home project or some hobby that you're working on. It's a great feeling to be done. And even if you didn't exactly enjoy the process, finishing brings great joy. And this is the kind of joy that awaits us, and even actually greater than just finishing a a project we may be working on. But there is great joy that awaits us on the last great day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. But at that time, the finished and completed project is going to be ourselves. You see, even those who are redeemed by faith in Christ Jesus were not yet finished. That is, we have yet to be perfected in holiness. We are, even now, works in progress. But one day, as Paul said back in in chapter 1, verse 6, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. That is, one day we will be perfected in holiness. And we look forward to that day with much hope and anticipation. But even though there is great joy awaiting us at the end, when we're finally perfectly complete, when we're pure and holy in God's presence, we can still experience great joy even now in the process of getting there. 
And this is the challenge that the Apostle Paul gives in our passage this morning. That we should find great joy in the process of becoming more and more holy. This process of becoming holy is called sanctification. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer 35, defines sanctification as the work, the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Sanctification is marked by dying to sin and living unto righteousness. In other words, the process of sanctification is at the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you remember how Jesus defined discipleship, saying that if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Pursuing self-denial and and daily putting our sins to death in Christ. While at the same time humbly following after Him and walking in His ways. This is what any disciple of Christ must pursue if they would truly be called Christians and His disciples. This is the work of sanctification. In fact, we could go further and say that the pursuit of holiness or sanctification is really necessary for our salvation, or at least necessary for what we desire at the end. This is what the writer to the Hebrews implies in Hebrews 12, verse 14. It says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Friends, if you want to see the Lord on the last great day, and if you want to see Him for all eternity, you must be holy. God requires His covenant people to be holy, as Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 1, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. God is holy. He calls us His people to be holy. And if we're not holy, then we will not see Him on the last great day. So, in other words, sanctification then isn't optional. It's something that we must pursue if we want to identify ourselves as true disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, sadly, too many people, too many Christian people, People who sit in the pews of churches week after week, they sit back and they do nothing to advance their faith, their growth in grace and knowledge of God's truth, or in the pursuit of sanctification and holiness. Some have the false self-righteous notion that they've already arrived and they don't need to uh, put any effort into holiness. And so they simply go through the motions, spinning their wheels, not making any progress toward that end goal. Others completely disregard calls for holy and righteous living because they falsely confuse it with legalism or they only want Jesus as their friend and not as their Lord and as their King. All these are putting themselves in danger of the judgment. But as Paul makes clear here in verse 12, We must work at our sanctification, or as he puts it, 
work out your own salvation. Now note here that he calls it work. That is, he acknowledges that this isn't easy. In fact, it requires continuous, sustained, and strenuous effort. This is because sanctification is really contrary to our natural sin nature. The remnant of the sin nature that remains in us fights vigorously to stay in control and fights against holiness and our efforts to be more and more holy. As we considered before, self-denial and humility, putting the needs of others before our own, these things aren't easy. But we must work to produce such holy fruit in our lives. And this is why Paul ties sanctification to obedience. It's by obeying God's Word, conforming ourselves to His commands, that forms and fashions us to be more and more like His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. This was what Paul had just reminded them. Right? The great example which Jesus gives back in verses 6-11, through 11, an example of unity, humility, and perfect obedience to the Father's will. Now friends, if this is what Jesus did for us to accomplish our salvation, well, then we ought to be just as diligent to show our love to Him by keeping His commands. And this is an important point to make. Because we're to work out our salvation, yes. But this doesn't mean that we earn our salvation by our works. Not at all. You see, the work we do in pursuing holiness and sanctification is to show and demonstrate our gratitude to God and reveal our faith to the glory of God. James says it this way in in James 2 Verse 17, thus also uh, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. And James isn't saying that we're justified and made right by our works. But no, but that by doing our works, we are showing the faith that we have. We are showing that we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ and His grace alone. And this is essentially what Paul is, is charging here, the same, the same idea. That we must do these things, and it's not earning our salvation, it's expressing our gratitude to God for what He has done for us through Christ. There's another critical point needed here. And as we strive to work out our salvation, we must remember the great truth which Paul reminds us of in verse 13. Yes, we must work out our salvation and sanctification, but we have no reason to boast. Because it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. The work we do in sanctification See, it's not work that we can do of ourselves or in our own strength. But praise be to God, He's graciously at work in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, not only enabling us, but even giving us the desire to grow in grace and holiness and knowledge of His truth. Again, Paul demonstrates this back in chapter 1, verse 6, that God has begun a good work in you. That is, the Holy Spirit is right now at work in you. 
just as He has from the beginning of your salvation by faith in Christ. He is still working in you, enabling you not only with the strength and ability to do what is pleasing, but even giving you the will and the desire to serve and obey. See, in our fallen sin nature, we have no ability and we have no desire. As Paul says in Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You see, those that that are dead, they can't do anything, let alone have the will and the desire to do that which is good in God's sight. But by God's grace and the power of His Spirit, those who were dead are now brought to life in Christ. Becoming new and living creatures with both the desire and the ability now to work, to obey, and to do all we do, bearing great and abundant fruit to the glory of God in our lives. It's God, the Spirit of God in us, doing these things, not we ourselves. And so there's no room for self-righteous boasting. In fact, Jesus reminded His disciples of this very thing. In John 15, verse 5, He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in Me and I in Him, He bears much fruit. So if we're going to bear fruit, we need to be in the vine, in Christ. And then He goes on to say, For apart from Me, you can do nothing. A branch on its own cannot do anything. But a branch engrafted into the vine will produce much fruit. If that vine is the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus is speaking very plainly here. We can, do, we can do nothing to further our own holiness or for the glory of God without the Spirit of Christ working in us. And friends, if we believe in Christ, if you believe in Christ, then His Spirit surely is working in you. So we must work out our salvation, pursue holiness, obey God's law, bear great and abundant fruit for the glory of God with great effort and diligence, all the while humbly acknowledging that it's the Spirit of Christ Himself that's in us, that's enabling us and giving us the desire and the ability to do these great things. And with such knowledge and understanding of these things, then we must be diligent to pursue sanctification and holiness in the proper manner. And there are two particular attitudes which Paul mentions here. And the first we see in verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now why, why fear and trembling? Because the work of sanctification in our lives is a holy work. It's a holy work done in the presence of a most holy God. Fear and trembling was the common response in the Old Testament when people would meet with God or or the, the angel of the Lord. They would fall down on their faces in fear and trembling. The writer to the Hebrews notes that when Moses met with God on the mountain... So terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Moses was full of fear and trembling because he knew he was just a sinful man and he knew that God was a most holy God who can't stand in the sight of sin. It was only by God's grace 
that Moses was able to approach God, and Moses acknowledges that by falling down in fear and trembling. And even though today, in in the New Covenant era, we can approach the throne of grace boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, well, we still should do so with great reverence and awe for our holy God and with great humility because we acknowledge with Moses that it is only by the grace of God that we are now given entrance into His holy presence. Again, so we have no reason to boast. And we should always be mindful that we come into the presence of the Lord. We should uh, tremble with a holy fear because it's only by His grace that we come. So what does this have to do then with working out our salvation and pursuing sanctification? Well, beloved of God, do we dare forget who it is who dwells in us, enabling us to will and to work for the glory of God? Is it not the Holy Spirit of the living God? Indeed it is. The Holy Spirit dwells in those who believe, working in them holiness and truth. And this Holy Spirit is with us all times, watching us, encouraging us, empowering us, and strengthening us. And this is why Paul commends the Philippians for their obedience, because they have been faithful all the time. Not only when he was present with them, but even now in his absence. And this is the way it ought to be. We aren't to to slack off and neglect our duty because the boss is out of the office, so to speak. No, we must constantly press on with fear and trembling, with great humility, striving to become more and more like the Holy One who suffered and died for our sins. Many today disregard the holiness of God and their own need to be holy, as we mentioned before. Some think that it's well enough to be holy just one day a week, even one hour a week. And that once they they leave the the church service, their focus and desire to pursue holiness and sanctification just ceases. They no longer have this desire to be like Christ. They've been like Christ for the last hour. Now it's to live as I want to live. But this ought not to be so for the true disciple of Christ. A true disciple that has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And because of this, we will have the the will and the desire to live their lives in gratitude to God uh, um, of all that He has done for us. And having this humility, this ability and the the desire to obey God's Word and to pursue holiness, to pursue Christ-likeness. But again, we ought not to get the wrong idea. Because we can all testify personally, I'm sure, that there are many times when we have the desire, when we have the will and the ability to do what is right in God's sight, and yet we don't. Yes, we can grieve and quench the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives because of our sin and our hard-heartedness. But you see, if the the Spirit of Christ is truly present within you, then eventually, there will also come conviction of your sin. 
And you will be drawn to repentance and confession of that sin as you rely on God's mercy and grace for forgiveness. We, of all people, know that Christians aren't perfect. But if we would be faithful Christians, we must strive for holiness, even the perfect holiness exemplified and possessed by Jesus Christ with fear and trembling. Acknowledging our low position before God and the utter magnitude and glory of His holiness. In verse 14, Paul mentions a second attitude that we're to have. So first is is with fear and trembling and humility. But the second attitude is that we're to do all things without complaining or disputing. Now as any parent will testify... Complaining and disputing or, or arguing is something that you don't have to learn. It's a key part of our sin nature. Uh, to complain or grumble is to express disrespect for authority and uh, dissatisfaction or discontentment with what you have, with what you have or what you've been given to do. And so, whether it's mom or dad telling you to clean your room or, or your boss telling you to work late to finish a project. Grumbling and complaining flows too easily from our hearts, if not even from our own lips. And at the heart of much disputing and arguing is often pride. And a lack of putting the needs and concerns of others before our own. And so, for example, when a task is given, arguing quickly breaks out about the best way to accomplish it. And of course, the best way to do it is my way. And then we vigorously will defend our position. We're not thinking of of the other. When we think about complaining and disputing in in the scriptures, we often think of the ancient Israelites. They were masters of complaining and arguing. And again, here here God delivers them from slavery in Egypt in in a great and mighty way with great signs and many wonders. And he leads them out in a visible manifestation of his glory, right? The, uh, the glory cloud by day and the fire by night. All they had to do was look and they could see the glory cloud of the Lord before them. But what do they do? They complain and they grumble against God and they argue with Moses. We want meat, we want water. We want to go back to Egypt. We're going to die in the desert. In the desert. We don't want to go into this land because the people are too big and scary. And on and on they went. They complained about everything. But before, before we come down too harshly on the Israelites, friends, we would do well to first look in the mirror. How many times do we complain or question why God is doing what He's doing in our lives? God, why... Why can't I have this or that? Why can't things just go easy for me for once? Do you really have any sense what you're doing? And how, what about all these commandments? You want me to do all these things, but it's, it's too hard. I can't keep all these things. There's too many of them. You know, sin's not so bad. Get the sense that you're just trying to keep me from having fun. Reading, praying, going to church, serving others. Yeah, that's... Fine, but it all takes up too much time, and I, you know, I have other things to do. So we grumble and we complain against God. 
And as the grumbling and complaining and arguing get louder and more persistent, well, then our hearts grow hard and eventually full-out-blown rebellion ensues against God as He's replaced by an idol created in the image of man. And God's just laws are rejected in favor of the oppressive rule of chaos where everyone does what is right in their own eyes. There's a lot of that today. Everything's relative. Everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes. They've rejected the law of God. But beloved of God, we're called to be like Jesus. We're called to be like Jesus who was obedient to God's good and perfect plan even when it meant the painful and shameful death of the cross. You look at Jesus. Jesus didn't gripe and complain against God. He didn't argue his, try to argue His way out. But what did He do? He humbled Himself that He might serve God's good pleasure and also He humbled Himself so that He might serve our greatest good in securing our salvation. And if it seems too hard, and you know, the reality is, is that often it is too hard. Well, instead of complaining and looking for a way out, we need to humble ourselves and to rely on the all-sufficient grace of God. Even the very grace and strength of the Spirit of God who dwells in us, provides for us, so that we can become more and more like Christ. And so if we would press on and seek to obey God's Word and pursue holiness and work out our salvation dependent upon the grace and the strength the Spirit provides us with all humility and without grumbling or arguing, and that's what Paul is calling us to do here, what are the results that we can expect? The first is that we would show ourselves to be God's holy children. Verse 15, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Now surely we know that when we first believe on Christ that we're adopted into the family of God. But you see, when we pursue sanctification with great zeal, we then confirm this most blessed relationship and we show that we are our Father's children. When Paul mentions blameless, harmless, or innocent and, and without fault, he doesn't mean that you'll never be persecuted, that you'll never be falsely charged, you'll never be judged guilty and condemned to death. I remember what happened to Jesus, and He was perfectly blameless, harmless, and without fault. Paul is stressing that when your manner of life reflects the holiness of God, well then no one can bring a just charge against you. One that would not stand in the courtroom of the holy God. Because of the glorious righteousness and holiness of Jesus Christ applied to you and worked in you by the Holy Spirit, you'll not be condemned in God's sight, but you'll be beloved children. And He'll gather you to Himself. And so this is the first result of sanctification, is that it confirms that we are children of the Holy God. A second result of the work of sanctification in your lives is that you will shine as gospel lights bearing witness to the world 
of the wonders of God's grace offered in the gospel. Paul says in verse 15 that you will shine as lights, shining in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Now nothing could better describe the current generation in which we live. And as we enter into, and actually we are now fully into what we might call a post-Christian age, it's looking increasingly like the pre-Christian age in which Paul and the Philippians lived. Where there was no regard for God and His law, where it's being distorted, pushed aside, and, and outright rejected. And people didn't want to have anything to do with it. And certainly a key contributing factor in this, in many ways, is that in what calls itself the church has ceased to be a beacon of light and hope in the world. On one extreme, you have those who have given up the truth and the authority of the Scriptures as the only infallible rule for faith and uh, and life. But once you do that, you've removed the foundation of faith, well now you no longer have any hope to give to others. And there's many, uh, once strong churches, that now fall into that category. They have no hope to offer this world. In fact, they become dark themselves because there's no gospel light shining because they've rejected the Word of God. But then, on the other extreme, you have the extremely self-righteous. Those who are quick to judge and condemn and and are slow to love and, and slow to show compassion. They may have great zeal for the truth, but they forget about grace, peace, and mercy. And sadly, in both extremes, they become more like the crooked and perverse generation that they're supposed to appear as lights to. The light has been darkened. Well, the same is true in our individual lives. Every day, and we all know this, Every day there's such a great temptation to cave in and live like the world lives. Friends, we can't. We can't give in. Because God has called us to be holy. There should be a noticeable difference in in how we live our lives and how the rest of the world lives. As Paul says in verse 16, that we should hold fast or hold out the word of life to show others how, how, uh, by how we live our lives that our God is a holy God and that we are His beloved children and that we imitate Him and we live like Him as He's called us to live. This is what Jesus charged in Matthew 5, saying that let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. See, when we strive for sanctification in our lives, we're bearing witness of the gospel to others. We're being a light to them. Which is why it's so important, again, that we live differently than the world lives. That there's a distinguish between how people in the street live and how we live. That you must know that there's something different about us. And they'll ask us to give a reason for the hope that is in us. And we will be ready by the power of the Spirit to give them that answer. Because they'll see the light of the gospel truth shining in us. 
A third result of sanctification is confirmation. For Paul, when the Philippians pursue holiness with great zeal to glorify God in their lives, it it actually confirms his ministry among them, as he says in, in verse 16, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. So think all about all Paul's labor in their midst. All the trial and suffering that he endured when he first arrived in Philippi. And even all that he is enduring now as he sits in a cold Roman prison. For Paul, all this won't be in vain if his beloved Philippians are presented on the last great day as holy saints in Christ Jesus. For Paul... Success in ministry isn't about, isn't about numbers and about how many people or how much money or how, how big his, his ministry is, but it's whether the children that he's ministering to, whether they resemble the Holy Father and the Son. Beloved of God, this would truly be my desire for you as well. That even my ministry among you today would be confirmed by by how much you would look like Christ when He comes again. And certainly this ought to be the the desire for each of you as well, for yourselves and, and for those to whom you might minister. That the pursuit of holiness and sanctification will confirm your calling in Christ Jesus because He'll bring to completion that which He started. And so sanctification brings confirmation. Well, the final result of sanctification that we see here is, of course, joy. The pursuit of holiness leads to great joy. Paul says in verse 17 and 18, Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. The joy of sanctification is that if your hope and trust is in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, then friends, right now, the Spirit of the living God is in you, enabling you to do that which would be otherwise impossible, pleasing and glorifying God through obedience to His commands. Secondly, the joy of sanctification is a realization that the great God of all the universe is not only pleased to bestow His grace upon you and and deliver you from your sin, but He is also most pleased to use you as as His instrument to share the joy of salvation and sanctification with others, as Paul mentions here. For surely as you grow in grace and holiness, you actually encourage others to do the same. Encourage those in your midst and part of this body. Right? If one person is pursuing holiness, well, you know, that should encourage us, the rest of us to do the same. But then it also encourages others looking in. And so that is the joy that we can have even now as God's plan and purpose is being worked out in us and through us in this life. The beloved of God, the greatest joy of sanctification is certainly that which comes later. On that last great day, when we shall be presented to Jesus Christ holy and blameless, without spot, without blemish, a perfectly finished work of His gracious hands. 
and there we shall remain. Standing without fear or shame in His glorious presence forever and ever and ever and ever. Where there's fullness of joy. Complete fullness of joy. Beloved of God, this is the great hope of the gospel. This is the joy of our sanctification. And truly may the Spirit of Christ graciously work in you and through you. This great joy to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks to you for your challenge and instruction to us today. The call to be holy as you are holy. And to conform our lives to the truth of your word. And we acknowledge, O Lord, that we are unworthy to receive your mercy. And yet you have bestowed it upon us. And that we cannot do any good thing without your spirit and your grace working in us. And we rejoice and give thanks. Lord, you know, because your son Jesus experienced this life and was tempted and tried in all ways that we are, yet without sin, and so you truly know how challenging and difficult it is for us to live each day for your glory and to daily put to death our sin and to walk in truth and righteousness. And we truly walk in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. Father, we just pray that your spirit would truly strengthen us and encourage us. That the truth that we hear this day, that your spirit would apply that to each of our hearts. Drawing us all closer to yourself. So that we would truly be witnesses for your glory. That we would be a beacon of light and hope in this community. And we acknowledge that there are many around us who confess to be Christians. And perhaps they are. But they have no regard to pursuing holiness. Lord, we pray that we would be witness to them. And even to those who just outright reject you. And that the light shining in us and through us. Would expose the darkness of their sin. Not in a prideful manner. But in a convicting manner as you draw them to yourself. As you bring, as they come to us and ask for the reason of the hope that is in us, we pray that your spirit would give us the words to speak, that we would be able to declare the gospel truth to them, that they may come to know you, even as we know you. And so we just praise you and thank you, O God, for these things. And we pray that you would continue to work your spirit in us, bringing us to that great point of perfection on the last great day, when Christ returns and embraces us as his holy and perfect bride. We rejoice and give thanks to you, O Lord, for these things. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.